Hello and welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-host, as always, Mr. Patrick Farrell. Paddy, how are you this week? I'm positively splendid, Gary. Now, Gary, you're not in your uh, regular settings here. You're not even in the same time zone, the same continent. Where are you? I'm in uh, San Diego sitting outside of Starbucks at the moment. So good thing about Starbucks is that their Wi-Fi is generally pretty reliable. So that's the plan of action for this morning. Where I'm staying, the, the Wi-Fi isn't great. So uh, that's where we're recording the, pod- the podcast from this morning. So those who watch, you get to see a lovely Starbucks here in the background. You'll probably see people walking by. You might hear a train. Very exciting. Anyway, I hope you're enjoying your holidays. I hope everyone is hoping that you're enjoying your holidays as well. Or your travel, I should say. It's not necessarily holidays. You are on a mission. Uh, yeah. But today... What are we talking about, Gary? Today we're talking about uh, something that we both enjoy, which is uh, for using the mountains, okay? Mount- mountaineering and hiking. That's what we're going to talk about. We're, we've been doing this How to Train series now for a few weeks, and we've covered we've covered a lot of the core areas of fitness that people might think about, like you know, trying to build strength, trying to build more muscle, get bigger, etc. But we have a lot of clients that have you know more diverse goals that they want to be able to use their body use their fitness in different ways, such as being able to hike, being able to trek long distances, etc. So that's what we want to cover in this podcast. We want to give you the key principles that for someone who wants to do more mountaineering, do more hiking, you know, be able to climb higher peaks, walk further, etc., uh, that you can use these principles to actually enhance that without just saying practice walking at the mountains more. Because there is a bit more to it. You know, we can use specific strength conditioning protocols to enhance that. Um, not only the performance in terms of being able to walk further, faster, get less fatigue, but also potentially reduce uh, risk of injury associated with that as well, which is really important. Yeah, and like we're titling this podcast something like mountaineering and hiking, like how to train for mountaineering and hiking, but both of those things are incredibly different while also being very similar. And then also there's gradations within that. Like you could be mountaineering with like, you're technically mountaineering but the skill required is actually quite low whereas you could also be hiking where the skill skill required is quite high you know and so there's incredible diversity within that so obviously we're not going to cover all the permutations and all of the possible eventualities with everything but you know that's kind of the goal of the podcast today to uh dive a little bit deeper with this stuff absolutely so um, there are kind of three like general areas that you need to cover when you're thinking about training for the mountains, um, which is injury prevention, high levels of fitness, and then being strong enough for the challenges of being in the mountains. And that can mean a couple of different things. For example, you know, do you have a heavy backpack with you? Is that something you're prepared for? Is that something your joints are prepared for? Um, are you doing periods where there's a very steep gradient, there's rough terrain, you need to be maybe doing a little bit of climbing with your hands potentially. Again, totally depends on the challenge that you're working towards, but being stronger is generally going to be a good thing. So you want to be fit, you want to be strong, and you want to be prepared to prevent injuries. And that's particularly important if you're doing this regularly. You know, if you're climbing mountains every week or you're doing a multi-day trek, you don't want to get injured on the first day. So they're the core goals that we're aiming at. Yeah, and as I said, like this can look very different depending on the specifics you know i've had clients again that they just want to be able to casually go for a hike on the weekend like it's a, a two-hour hike 
you know, and that's obviously a much different endeavor than clients I've had where they're like, you know, I'm going to be spending the next three months hiking across the Himalayas, doing various hikes, doing various mountaineering tasks, uh, you know, whatever. So like there's, there is an incredible diversity here and we're simply not going to cover all of that. But what we can cover is those kind of general uh, attributes, if you will, you know, that we can cover with the strength and conditioning, the training, et cetera, which is, as you said, injury prevention. That's, you know, the name of the game for most sports, right? And then also with mountaineering and hiking, both of them require a high level of fitness and it's, you know, relatively specific fitness while also being, you know, general fitness at the same time, right? And then like Gary noted, you need to be strong enough for the challenges of being in the mountains. And again, that's going to look different depending on the specifics, but there still are some generalities, some commonalities, you know, with hiking, maybe you need to have a little bit more bias towards the lower body, the low back. Uh, whereas with mountaineering, you still need that same amount of work, but you potentially have a lot more upper body strength that's needed as well, especially if you're doing a lot of the more, you know, complex, you know, uh, mountaineering tasks, you know, climbing, abseiling, whatever, you know? Um, so where do we start with this stuff, Gary? Yeah. So I think starting by focusing on your general strength is probably a good one because it's, it's actually quite simple, but it's something that's still important to take care of. And the general guidelines here for resistance training or trying to get stronger would be to probably get somewhere between two to four sessions per week. Like I think two to three is probably going to take care of the actual needs for most people. Um, and what we would do then is we'd focus on strengthening the whole body. Okay, It's very easy to look at, you know, uh, hiking and mountaineering as just a lower body task where you're walking up the mountains. But as we said previously, you know, there are other needs that potentially come into it, such as the equipment that you're carrying, you know, maybe even moving obstacles out of the way. Obviously, if you're using your hands to climb, that's even more important. So we would focus generally on trying to train the whole body. Um, the lower body is going to be a bit more important. And particularly uh, around the core and trunk, that's another area that would be more important. So, for example, if you're carrying a heavy bag, um, depending on the backpack that you're using, that could be pulling you back into spinal extension all day long. Um, along with the fact that you know when you're you're leaning for you're leaning forward or you're leaning to the side, depending on what you're doing, your core muscles and your lower back muscles are going to be working incredibly hard all that time. Okay, so you want those to be strong. So what, the lower body strength component is a bit more obvious in that if you're climbing up a mountain, of course your legs have to be working um, pretty much all the time, and it's not just uh, you know your standard lower body training where okay, I'm going to train my quads, I'm going to train my glutes, I'm going to train my hamstrings. You'd also really want to focus more here on, um, for example, ankle strength, uh, hip flexor strength as well, because they are coming into it every single step. And there's also the issue of when you're on uneven terrain, your muscles are getting challenged in ways that you're probably not going to experience at the gym. So we want to make sure we're training lots of different ranges of motion, we're training different joint positions, including the hips and the ankles. And that's going to allow you to be far more prepared uh, when you are then moving into the mountains. Yeah. And again, this is, it's very easy for us to just go, yeah, look, you just need to do two to four training sessions, like resistance training sessions per week, right? Cool. Get that done. You know, like 
obviously if you have more time you can do more but most people they probably don't right they probably don't especially when we talk about some of the more fitness related things that we also have to work on and factor in you know you probably don't have the time to do absolutely everything that you would like now you would hope that if you're trying to do something you know extraordinary like you know, climb a high peak or do whatever spend a week two weeks in the mountain self-supported whatever right you are going to require uh, a little bit more you're going to ideally uh do a little bit more to make sure you are well equipped and well prepared to handle yourself like you don't want to be ill-equipped and in the mountains <laughs> like that's that's a bad bad recipe right and i don't mean yep. just equipment that you're carrying i mean like your physical capacity right um but yeah look if you can get two to three resistance training sessions per week happy days the focus is probably going to be a little bit more on the lower body and like gary said there are some specifics with that which we'll talk about now in a second um but for hiking it, it's generally going to be a lot of lower body strengthening and um, some of the strengthening unfortunately you kind of can't really replicate in the gym you can't really prepare yourself for other than just being more generally resilient. Like if you're, I don't know, whatever your, your ankles, your calves, your you know, lower body is going to be challenged in certain ways. Like, yeah, you can somewhat generalize the strengthening there. Like for example, like calves are one that people regularly say, you know, get beat up when they're, they're hiking, especially if you're on like a steep incline, you know, your calf can basically be in this stretched position a lot. You know, you're walking up a steep hill, your calf is like basically fully stretched, and you're just doing lots and lots and lots of reps, right? And while you can't specifically prepare for that, like, yeah, maybe you could say, oh, well, I'll just do like some incline treadmill walking. Like that only gets up to like 15 degrees or something. Like, you know, I've been on hikes where it's, it's it feels like you're going 90 degrees, <laughs> you know? Um, so that's not necessarily going to prepare you fully for what you're going to experience here. And well, yes, you can do some strengthening exercises like calf raises, for example, would be a good one here. And you can spend some more time in that bottom position, really, you know, challenging that stretch position. You're probably not going to end up doing 400, 500, 1,000 reps of that in the gym, which you are going to do when you're out in the mountains. So you're not, like we said, with all of these things, like you're looking to build specific adaptations, right? But unfortunately, unless you have unlimited time, right? you're not going to be hyper or you're not going to be able to be hyper specific with this stuff. If you're just training in the gym, you know, it's just, it is the way it is. Right. Now on top of that, again, the upper body is still important. Like we can talk about the core now in a second, uh, but just upper body strength is still important. This is a little bit more important if you're doing mountaineering things um, especially like pulling muscles and just shoulder muscles, upper back muscles, you know, just general strength all over. Um, but it still does apply for like hiking. Like if you're using um, like hiking poles, like that's, you're taking some of the pressure, the force off your lower body, the, 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 the physical demands off your lower body and putting them on your upper body, right? And again, if you're not prepared for that, now, yeah, okay, you took some of that uh, challenge off your lower body, but now you've put it onto your upper body and now your upper body is destroyed <laughs> after one day in the mountains using hiking poles that you thought were gonna make it a little bit easier for you, you know? So you do have to be, well prepared all over you know the more robust the more resilient you can be the better uh you know again within time constraints etc right now before we get into any like specifics around that gary because i think there is like first of all it's just general it's just you know follow a three day per week resistance training program full body that would be pretty good 
if not do something like a a lower upper lower perhaps you know uh, or upper lower upper lower if you have four days to train whatever right the specifics like they're actually less important right except for what we'll talk about in in the second in terms of like specific areas that we want to really focus on but the way you set it up kind of less important right now because we also have to layer on the cardio in a second which will really influence how we set things up right but as a general base like this is something that i know a lot of hikers mountaineers whatever they stress over they're like oh well you know, I don't want to get bigger. I don't want to build any muscle because that means I'm just going to have to carry more muscle in the mountains. It's going to, I'm going to be heavier. You know, it's, it's just going to make things more challenging, right? Conversely, they'll also be like, oh, well, you know, I just want to get stronger. So I should only be doing like low rep work because that's, that's strength, right? And I don't think that's necessarily the case. <laughs> Either of those things, being afraid of like some muscle building or really focusing on low reps because you want to just get stronger you know you're like oh i'm only going to do three reps right so how should we be thinking of the like training parameters yeah so like firstly i think that that the key thing for anyone to understand and i say this to all athletes is that it's very very rare that you're going to get you know too big by accident so i think if you're doing excuse me two to three two to three sessions per week um you're probably not going to get too big you might put on a couple of kilos of muscle but generally what we're trying to do like if we were working with this client we want them to build a little bit of muscle but we'd be simultaneously trying to ensure that they're lean so you might have a few kilos of body fat that we could swap theoretically for that muscle so we gain a bit of muscle and we lose a bit of fat now we've got the same body weight that we're working with but you have greater relative strength so you have more muscle relative to fat and you have more uh, strength for your body mass so now it almost feels like you're lighter anyway at the same body weight because you are stronger. Okay, so that's a key thing to understand about body composition and its relationship to uh, strength and your ability to move the body. Now, when it comes to the specifics of training, a, a, there should be like a diverse range of rep ranges here. We'd start with our kind of six to 12 as our base as we would for most clients most of the time but with some um, additional muscle endurance work. So this is a case where I would definitely include like sets in that kind of 15 to 30 rep range, or if we were doing isometrics, just longer isometrics, maybe 30 to 60 seconds. This would give us an opportunity to focus on muscle endurance, which is going to be really important in the mountains. Now, as you noted previously, of course, you're doing hundreds or thousands of reps of something when you're climbing in the mountains. We're not trying to replicate that in the gym, we're trying to use more resistance, but we're also doing more reps so that we develop muscle strength and muscle endurance so that we have a surplus when it comes to doing those relatively lower force reps of stepping in the mountains, for example. So I would definitely consider uh, some higher rep work here, especially for the lower body, for example, something like uh, walking lunges. You know, it could be high rep walking lunges because that's, you know, how you're outputting your force. And um, it could be a high rep, you know, leg press or single leg press, etc. But generally what we're doing is we're trying to get those local muscular endurance adaptations within the lower body muscles in particular. Um, and then that complemented with a solid level of aerobic fitness is going to take you to the point where you have better endurance, but you also have better strength that goes with that endurance to ensure that your muscles are well able to tolerate those um, relatively, you know, moderate to high forces that you'll sometimes deal with, but over repeated, repeated, repeated reps. Yeah, 100%, right? So basically two to three gym sessions per week, working all the major muscle groups, you know, and we're probably spending the majority of our time in that kind of six to 12 rep ranges. And then 
we're also adding in, well, I shouldn't say adding in, we're also doing some of those kind of higher rep sets as well. Now that can be exercise specific where like, right, this exercise, I'm just doing higher reps. It could also be something like I'm doing three sets of I don't know, eight reps and then one set I'm doing of 20 reps or whatever. Like there's multiple ways that we can do it. Again, that depends on the specifics, it depends on if we're talking about hiking versus mountaineering versus whatever issues you have, et cetera, right? But that's a general base, right? Two to three gym sessions per week, generally strengthening the entire body, aiming to get stronger in the six to 12 rep range, also layering in some of the higher rep ranges, 15 to 30 reps, still looking to get stronger on those as well. Um, and I think that's a good general base, right? Now, that's obviously very broad strokes, right? Putting some specifics on it, I think there are some exercises that do provide a little bit, or I shouldn't say necessarily exercises, some areas that if we focus on them, they do tend to provide a little bit of an outsized return, right? Like you noted there, lunges, stuff like split squats, Bulgarian split squats, you know, just kind of single leg uh, squat lunge type position. That is something that for most people, you're going to get an outsized return on investment for getting really strong in that, right? Both in terms of your overall leg development, but then also it's very applicable to the types of things that you're going to be experiencing in the mountains. Now, obviously, you're not lunging up a mountain, right? I don't think anyone anyone is doing that, but you are doing a lot of single leg, basically step ups across the hike up the mountain right or even if it's across you know just uh, relatively flat terrain right you're hiking across you know what we're we've been couching this in terms of just mountain hiking but you know you could be hiking just in the wilderness you could be hiking in the forest whatever right like you're still going to be doing effectively lunges because you're walking right and a walk is basically a lunge <laughs> right so it also builds a lot of the smaller muscle groups that if we didn't do something like a lunge, we potentially would also have to focus on, right? So doing something like a lunge just is a shotgun approach, right? It gets all those little muscles around the hips, all those little stabilizing muscles around the ankle, the knees that, again, we would probably have to do some specific work on if we didn't do something like a lunge or a Bulgarian split squat, right? So that's one area that I think is some outsized returns, getting really, really strong in single leg work, right? Um I don't have it on the list here that we were going to discuss, but I also think hamstring work, knee flexion work is another one that very often gets neglected. And when you think about it, like it is one of those things that you are actually doing quite a lot of when you hike up the mountains, right? It's basically the other half of the lunge because you're basically, you know, step the foot forward. You're kind of like pulling yourself back or pulling yourself up. Like if you imagine your heel dragging on the ground, right so that's basically knee flexion right which is your hamstrings doing the work there right and while you do get some of those benefits from just generally doing lunges it's probably not the same or not to the same extent as doing something like a seated hamstring curl or a lying hamstring curl you know so i do think again that offers some outsized rewards getting that knee flexion strengthening in the program somewhere um i think also upper body pulling musculature, you know, whether it's a, a vertical type pull down or a horizontal type pull, both of those just having good pulling musculature, again, gives you an outsized return, especially in the context of mountaineering, because, you know, you're going to be scrambling, you're going to be climbing, you're going to be doing whatever, like you want to have good 
pulling musculature. It also lays a good foundation for stuff like carrying a backpack and, you know, or rucksack, whatever, right? Um, grip strength. This is a little bit more in terms of mountaineering as well, especially if you've got stuff like, I don't know, you're in a, a, a snowier or more Arctic type environment, you're using an ice pick, you're doing whatever, like there's a lot of grip demands on that. Um, and while that is you know, generally still seen in mountaineering in various forms, especially if you're doing certain activities, um, just generally getting your grip stronger, it's a pretty good, a good idea, right? Now, that could be ticked, that, that box could be ticked just by virtue of your upper body pulling, you know, that we might not need to focus specifically on it, but I do generally find that for certain individuals doing some direct grip strengthening does actually make quite a difference, right? Um, the next one there, and you mentioned earlier on, is hip flexor strengthening. It's one of those ones that just regularly gets just forgotten about because it's not sexy. What are you going to be doing like a cable hip flexor uh, exercise? Like you're just going to be like, well, this, this just feels like I'm not doing a huge amount. But if you actually get your hip flexor is quite strong, it actually does pay off so much in terms of, like that's that muscle there, those hip flexors there are what are lifting your leg up so that you can take that next step so that you can step up onto that rock so that you can continue hiking. So getting them really strong, pretty good idea. Now they do get some general strengthening. If you're doing stuff like lunges, Bulgarian split squats, squats, leg extensions, whatever. But in general, I think a lot of people would actually benefit from very specific hip flexor strengthening. Um, now, before I go on to the core because that is one thing i do want to just talk about because it ties in a few different things and um, do you mind to note on any of that um i think just the thing i would reiterate really is the the hip flexor component because I, I think this is the one area where if people have been doing their resistance training all the time it's actually quite rare to properly challenge your hip flexors you know we'll like we'll often say things like oh for example oh, you don't need to train your core because it's trained well with deadlifts, squats, etc. Or you don't need to focus too much on, you know, specific adductor exercises because it's trained when you do lunges or squats, etc. But hip flexors is actually really rare to train them in any position, really. Like, as in, maybe if you're doing some ab training, you'll end up doing hip flexor training as a result. But yeah, this I was, is I was one just going to say that. Basically, yeah. most of the hip flexor training people get is by virtue of bad ab training. Exactly. And because ab training is kind of a bit less popular than it used to be because people are like, ah, I just need to lose body fat if I want to see my abs. So I'm not going to waste time training them. You know, that's, that's the attitude of a lot of people because like everyone used to say, oh, I just want to work my core. And then you ask them, oh, why do you want to work your core? And you say, oh, core strength is important. It's like, yeah, but why? And they're like, I want to see my abs. <laughs> and that, that's the reason. And then whenever I learned, oh, it's just body fat, people start training their abs. Okay, so they're not even getting their hip flexor work. So you could be quite strong and just never like challenge your, your hip flexors properly. This is something I speak to about field sports or to field sport athletes athletes about all the time we work on hip flexor strength it's very common that we work on it um, and in this case i would definitely be working on it okay um so yeah do you want to touch on the core yeah so with the core this is actually a bit of a 
weird one because like you're saying a lot of people in the health and fitness world they've kind of moved away from core training right however if you look at any information that's given out for people engaging in mountaineering hiking or whatever maybe 70 to 90 percent of the program is dedicated to some form of core training right like that's that's where they spend an outsized amount of time and that's not to say that that's not valuable right it's not to say that that's a completely wrong approach however if you have limited time to train, that's probably not the best way to allocate your training budget, right? Like your core is going to be challenged, you know, quite effectively, like Gary said, with your squats, your deadlifts, you know, lunges, you know, any of these kind of more compound exercises, right? Which if we're spending a lot of time training the lower body, because it's specific to our sport here, you're probably going to get a decent whack of core training from that, right? Now, the thing about it as well is, you do actually have some very specific core demands and um, stability demands, I suppose, uh, in the mountains, right? Again, like Gary said earlier on, like you're going to be exposed to all these random positions, you know, maybe you do have a big, you know, bag on your back and everything. And you would think, oh, well, this is going to be more and more challenging to my core. And again, to an extent, it definitely is. However, a lot of those issues are just poor, like bag packing. Right. Like you just don't, you haven't bag, you haven't packed your bag effectively. So you have like, I don't know, all the way up the top of the bag. So it's like every move you make, you're swinging side to side. That's going to be more core challenging. Right. But you could fix that by packing your bag more effectively. Right. Same with most people just don't set their bag up correctly on their back. Right. So they have a poorly fitted rucksack, you know, and as a result, like it's hanging off their body. It's pushing them forward. It's pulling them back. It's it's not well suited to their situation, their their body, right? So as a result of having a poorly fitted backpack, you now have a much larger core demand because you just didn't set things up correctly. So you would probably be better off spending thirty minutes, you know, actually learning how to set your backpack up, making sure you get one with a hip belt, and knowing how to use that stuff like that, knowing how to keep the bag tight to your back you know knowing how to change it you know maybe like i do this very often when i'm in the mountains like i'm quite tall so my like my femurs are quite long they're the fucking bane of my life um but so when i'm going uphill like i actually like my backpack to be a little bit further away from my body so the backpack is still kind of upright right but if i was to have that same position where i'm on more flatter ground like i'm just constantly going to be feeling like I'm falling backwards, you know? So knowing how to change your backpack setup when you're in the mountains to adjust to the terrain in front of you, really valuable as well, right? And so basically what I'm saying is core strengthening is for sure beneficial, right? And it's definitely has a role to play in your overall program design, especially around injury prevention and just, you know, being very robust for being in the mountains. But a lot of the stuff that people talk about with the core challenges in the mountains, it it's a lot of it is just poor setup, poor, you know, backpack setup. Yeah, and I mean this is similar to weight training, you know, where if a client is telling me, Oh, I've, I've my, my lower back is in bits from deadlifts, uh, can we strengthen my lower back? I'm gonna say, Okay, let's look at your deadlift technique first. Let's make sure it's efficient. Let's Let's look at your hand position. Let's look at your back position. Let's look at your foot position. What's the bar path like? How close is it to your body? This is literally the exact same when it comes to a backpack. It's just instead of maximal resistance, we're looking at loads and loads and loads of reps. But subtle differences can begin to add up. So that actually starts when you buy your backpack. So like if you're going to buy your backpack for an extended 
Trek. Like I had this recently because I was buying my my bag for America, South America. So what you can do is try out a few different backpacks. There'll be someone working in the shop or someone with you and get them to apply force directly down like like the way it will when it's in the backpack and ask yourself, right, how does this feel? Am I being pulled pull backwards loads? How do I adjust that? Let's start to adjust that, bring it closer to my center of mass and see how that changes things for me. And again, there will be individual factors. What what feels good for you, Patty, is going to be different to someone that's, you know, five foot four, you know, and then that's going to might change your body composition again. So just keep that in mind because it is really similar to just being in the gym and using good technique, okay? We don't want to try to train our way out of just technical problems that could just be easily adjusted. So that's a, a really important point. Yeah. Now, having said that, there is potentially still some benefit to training your core, being able sure. to effectively anti-flex, anti-rotate, like being able to resist those positions because you're going to step on a rock that you thought was stable and it's not, and you're going to be shifted to the side and you're going to have to basically challenge that backpack that's pulling you to, to one side now that you're going to follow down the edge of the mountain if you continue on with it. So like, yeah, you do want to be strong in the core, but like we're saying, you don't want to make up for poor preparation effectively by training your core for 70% of your training time when you could have been training stuff that's far more important, such as fitness training or getting stronger in general. You know, like you'll see this all the time. People are like, oh yeah, I spend lots of time on my core training and yeah, their core might be very strong, but you look at their you know squat, their deadlift, their whatever, any of these other strength metric metrics. And you're like, you actually have a very poor strength overall. Like, yeah, your core might be strong, but your legs are not strong. You're, you're not actually strong for being in the mountains. So yeah, you put on this 20 kilo backpack or whatever, and you're destroyed because it's, you know, way too heavy for you. Way, way too, way too beyond your physical capacity because you're not strong overall. And yeah, your core might be strong, but your overall organism is not, you know, which brings us on to the next one, Gary, which is injury prevention. What's the story here? Yeah. So we've, we've kind of touched on the the core component here already. We've touched on lower back and ankles a little bit. Like it's just important to note that there are those unpredictable challenges. We can't, we simply can't prepare for everything. Like, and, and I think people try to sometimes, and I think it's just a waste of time. Like, for example, like, I don't know, doing your squats on a really unsteady surface in the gym, that's just really low yield. You know, you're better off just doing the exercises to get their primary benefit, which is strengthening and muscle endurance and potentially muscle building. Don't try to recreate the mountains too much in the gym. Like, it's fine to say, I'm going to do lunges because I'm going to need that single leg challenge. Perfect. Or perfect. No problem. But don't be going standing on, on, on unstable surfaces, squatting in a bolsu ball and this type of thing. There's really no need. The benefit is just, it's it's obsolete. It's it's not it's not going to be of relevance. Yeah, but and, just on that, just on that. Look, if you had unlimited time, cool. That might be something that we do. Yeah. Right? After you've ticked all the boxes with like, you've done your squats, your actual like challenging sets of squats, you've done whatever, you've done really productive lower body training, you've ticked all those boxes. And then you're going, yeah, I have 20 extra hours that I can set aside to preparing my body for being in the mountains, but I don't actually have access to the mountains. Cool. Yeah. Then maybe we start layering in these other, you know, flashier things or these more specific things, but it's against the backdrop of you've put the big rocks already in the, in the, in the jar. You're not putting the small rocks in and filling that up, using your time to put these little tiny rocks, this grain of sand in. And it's like, you've done nothing. You know? 
yeah, like I, I just don't want to see someone on the boat two ball and it's like, oh, how's your cardio going? They're like, oh, I haven't done any cardio since last week. It's like, oh, we need to take care of that. That's way more of a priority. Okay. Now, now with that said, maybe some of that uh, stability work or instability uh, prep might be more important for some people. For example, let's say every time you go to the mountains, you sprain your ankle. Okay, maybe that's more of a priority. You know, we, we might want to work on that. Um, it might be something we can absolutely improve but it's just a little bit higher yield for that individual okay um so the the lower back the other thing about, about the lower back is that you're probably going to be training it with a lot of your lower body movements so if you're doing squats you're doing deadlifts you're probably going to be actually preparing the lower back pretty well um even doing things like lunges you're kind of preparing the lower back in a relatively specific manner because the main load of the lower back is or when you're in the mountains is you leaning forward with that backpack on your back, which is kind of what you end up doing in these lunge types of movements. So your lower back is probably going to be taken care of. If it's something that you struggle with more, maybe you always find that your back is really sore anytime you're in the mountains. Maybe you want to do a little bit more specific strengthening, you know, uh, an isolated uh, back extension, um, hyperextension type exercise um, or something along those lines. Because that might be something that's a bit higher yield for you if you've identified as poor issue. Now, the... The ankles, as we said, can be exposed to those uh, weird positions. As we said, it's probably your low yield to focus lots on the stability work itself. But there's definitely a case to be made for specific calf strengthening, um, which is obviously a core ankle muscle. So doing um, higher volume calf training than probably your average strength or hypertrophy program would be wise. Um, I would focus on a broad range of rep ranges here where you're maybe doing some heavy work where you focus on um loading heavily the Achilles in the stretch position in particular, uh, and then some of that muscle endurance work as well. I think that would be a, a nice mix to have in there for training the calves, okay? Um, the thing is that when you train your calves, like your your Achilles and your, and your gastrox and your soleus, like they don't just pull up and down. They're also going to support you if your ankle goes left or right. So it is something that's a, it's a bit more than just, um, you know, the isolated plantar flexion work. So that would be of use. You could make the case potentially to train inversion and eversion. Maybe you've had a history of ankle issues. I'd prioritize that a bit more. If not, I probably wouldn't worry too much. I'd just make sure, right, have you got good footwear? You know, that it kind of comes back to the backpack issue. You know, are, are, your, are your ankles really sore because you're doing really challenging mountains in barefoot shoes? Um, or have you got like solid boots? Okay. Um, we were actually hiking just last week in Killarney. It wasn't a, a, a big hike or anything, but Brian was wearing his, you know, Vivo barefoot shoes and, you know, his ankles were quite sore and feet quite sore after that. And that's not surprising because it's very different to wearing a proper hiking shoe. So that's just something to keep in mind as well. Yeah, but just on that as well, like this, this is one of those hard things where you kind of learn these things, but you specifically based on being in the mountains, based on actually doing the things that you're, you're preparing your body for. Like you basically find out what wheels fall off, off the wagon and then you can come up with more specific protocols. Like saying here, I'm like, like, I know again, because I'm quite tall, my low back is always going to be taking a beating when we're in the mountains because I'm just, I have to lean over way further than someone else has to lean over to go up the same incline, you know? Um, because again, it's my femur is quite long, right? Um, but for me, calves, never a problem. You know, never an issue, basically because I don't have them. But I'm like, I actually have great uh, dorsiflexion, you know. So for me, I'm like, I'm, I'm basically, I don't even think I get into my full uh, uh, flexed position here. I'm like getting into this stretched position on my calf, you know, <laughs> when you're going uphill. So I'm like, this is cool. This is fine, you know. Whereas I know other people, 
they're destroyed. They get to the end of their their hike of that day and they're like, my calves feel like they're on fire. They feel like they've been stretched. They feel like they've torn. They've, you know, they're destroyed, you know? So, and again, similar to what you're saying about like having the correct ankle support, right? Like you could be someone, I know Gary, your ankles are like, you know, goats, right? Where they just fucking go all over the place, right? So for you, you might be like, well, that's actually fine. I actually, I have no problem in the mountain, right? Whereas someone else might be like, well, no, if my ankle goes five degrees beyond, uh, where I want it to be, I basically feel like I've snapped my ankle, right? So like me personally, I like uh, like trail running shoes for in the mountains, but I know like people I've gone on longer hikes with, like they just can't do that. Like I like trail running shoes because they're really light, you know, and they're, you know, they're they're quite handy in, in my opinion, right? Um, whereas other people, they just need more support. They need that ankle support. Like I'll just basically run downhill, you know, and I'll be like, my ankles are going to be fine. I don't, it could be rocky, it could be, you know, the weirdest terrain ever. And I'm like, I know my ankles are going to be fine, you know, and I know you're kind of similar, right? Because I've been on hikes with other people and they're like, no, I need to be very specific with this because I'm, you know, I need my ankle support. I need like hiking boots, even though they're a little bit heavier, you know, I, I need that support. So again, a lot of this does come down to training. Yes. But also the equipment and all that kind of stuff that you prepare or use in the mountains as well right um there's just one other thing i want to say about injury prevention as well there are little things and little things that happen in the mountains that you just generally can't prepare for one of the things that a lot of people do bring up though is that when they're going downhill their patella just it feels quite sore and there's no real way around this it's just you're like your first of all your knee is going quite a lot forward so your quads have to do a lot of work and you're going to maybe see some patella pain as a result of that, just constant breaking, constantly slowing down from going downhill. It's basically just a lot of eccentric overload. And I've seen some people have some good results with doing like heavier eccentric training on something like a leg extension or stuff like that to maybe potentially get some specific adaptations in the patella and the quads and whatever. And obviously just getting your quads stronger, getting your patellas stronger is going to help. But I don't think for most people, there's a, an easy fix for this. I think most people, if you're going downhill, especially if it's just like a long slog downhill, uh, there's no real like changes in gradient. There's no flat land. There's no like, you know, going side to side, whatever. You're just going to feel it in your quads. Now, again, if you're stronger, you're probably going to feel it less, but most people are going to feel that to some extent. Generally, when I'm coaching people and they say they have goals like this, or they're like, oh, you know, my, my patella tendon, and it kind of hurts after doing this, going downhill on a hike or whatever. My suggestion is to just change the like way you go down, like try go down like kind of sideways a little bit for a while, go the opposite sideways. You know, if you're on this flat land, like maybe, you know, walk backwards, you know, just basically try to give yourself some rest, which also brings me to the next point, which is, just take more breaks, <laughs> you yep. know, just take more breaks on the way down so that you're a little bit more or a little bit further away from the fatigue point of your patellas, you know? So I mean, do you have anything else to say on injury prevention specifically? No, I don't think so. I think I agree with you on the, the patella thing. Like I think sometimes it just, it just comes with the territory, you know, you strengthen your quads, do what you can. But at the end of the day, when you're doing any sort of extreme task, especially if you're doing big, big peaks and you're coming back down, your joints are going to get sore after a while. And, and it's kind of just, it's just part of it. Like, and I, I, as much as I'd love to try to, you know, sell people magic solutions as a physio, like, you know, at the end of the day, it's, we can't protect, we can't protect ourselves from, from all pain. And if you're asking your body to just do a lot, 
like yesterday I did 25,000 steps. My hip was really sore by the end of the day. My hip's been sore since I had my hamstring surgery. And, you know, Laura would say to me, oh, wouldn't you get that? Shouldn't you, you know, get that fixed or get that checked out? And I'm just like, it's just a bit of a weak point. And I know that if I, if I take it, you know, too far or 25,000 steps, that's far beyond the norm. It's one of those, there's links in the chain that's going to start to hurt a bit. And, and that's, that's okay. You know, it doesn't, your body doesn't have to be totally pain-free all the time. And if you're asking it to do far more than it's normally used to, it's probably going to hurt a bit, which goes back to just prepare the best you can. And if there's niggles along the way, I would just kind of accept those. That's, that's life. 100%. Which brings us on to cardio. Story with cardio for mountains. Yeah, look, obviously, cardio is incredibly important. Okay? Now, it, it doesn't need to be all super specific. Like, I remember watching a guy train for the mountains years ago, and all he would do was just Stairmaster, Stairmaster, Stairmaster for hours. Okay, And that's that's good practice. Like, it, it is good to practice that, that stepping, but you don't have to be so specific with everything. So if you're if you have a big aerobic base that you've developed through doing things like you know uh, cycling, you've done some jogging, you've done some swimming, etc. It all carries over, and then you you take some percentage of that and you apply it to more specific things. For example, um, jogging is similar. Okay, it, although it might be on the flat, or you could do it in the mountains. It is preparing you. It's preparing your ankles, preparing your knees, it's preparing your hips, and of course, it's preparing your aerobic system. You can do work on an incline treadmill. You can do work in stairmaster. You can do some rocking. So you might go out for a really long walk, even if it's just on a flat, with a weighted vest or with a backpack that has weights in it. Again, trying to replicate some of the challenges. So I would have the majority of my cardio where I'm just thinking, I'm just trying to increase my aerobic fitness, and then I take a smaller percentage of that and I'd apply it a bit more specifically. And then as I come closer to the point where I'm doing more mountaineering, more hiking, etc that's when I get more specific again. So that's where you might want to get into the mountains for maybe some some hill runs for some shorter periods of time or, um, I don't know, rock, rock intervals, for example, up and down a hill, up and down a hill. There are different things that you can work on closer to a quite a challenging event. But overall, develop your aerobic base, take some percentage of that and try to make it more specific. And that's really going to take care of the vast majority of your cardio needs. The only thing is, you need high volumes here, okay? The, this is why I'm not so focused on all the specifics of the cardio because most people's problem is they're just not going to get enough time, okay? If you're going for a multi-day hike in the mountains, then you could potentially be talking about what, uh, you know, being in zone two potentially or zone one to two for eight to 12 hours per day for multiple days. So like your one to two hours of cardio per week just isn't going to cut it. It's not going to prepare you. So I'd be looking in this case of going beyond our normal recommendations. And I'd be looking at at least got three to five hours of cardio at minimum per week and potentially up to, you know, six to 10 hours uh, per week for someone that's starting to take this a bit more seriously. And then even more for people who it's really important to them. Yeah. And I think that's probably the biggest takeaway is you're just going to have to spend a lot of time building this aerobic base, you know, you can do that. Like if you have the, the, the ability to do that in the mountains, obviously that's the most specific, you know, like if you're training to be in the mountains, being in the mountains is the most specific. Like, I don't think, I think that's pretty obvious, right? But for most people, that's not necessarily going to be practical. Like, yeah, they might be able to get out once per week. You know, they might be able to go do a three, four, five, six hour hike on, on the weekend or whatever. Cool. Happy days. But you know, if you're really 
you know, you're, you're somewhere that just doesn't have mountains around you, you know, or the mountains you have around you are not, you know, really usable for cardiovascular training. Like, you know, you're, you're going to have to make do with what you can do. Right. And for a lot of people, that means training in the gym or around their area. So doing stuff like I said, jogging, it, it does, it builds your aerobic base. It's quasi specific. Like you're going to be on your feet, you know? And um, so that is helpful for building up mountain fitness and obviously the aerobic adaptations you build do translate and you're still strengthening and, you know, uh, improving a lot of the same musculature, ankle stability, hips, you know, low back, core all those kind of things that you'll be challenging when you're in the mountains as well obviously doing stuff like rooking if you're going on a, a hike where you're going to be you know self-supported you have a big backpack like rooking is going to be specific now obviously again the ideal would be to do it in the mountains but if you don't have mountains you just make do with what you do like i live in london there's not exactly a lot of mountains around here right so for me just have to build up general fitness if i'm doing something like rooking i'm putting on my backpack and i'm putting whatever 20 kilos in there which is 20 percent or so of my body weight i wouldn't necessarily recommend people start out with that but you know what i mean um and i'm just going for effectively a walk you know a relatively fast-paced walk but that's what i'm doing and it's just on the flat yeah there might be some small inclines declines whatever but i, I don't have a mountain near me right um and like you said you could be more specific with the gym work you can do stuff like incline incline treadmill walking or running or whatever that obviously can potentially benefit uh stairmaster as well again it can definitely help build your aerobic base um but all of these things are just tools the biggest thing is not the specifics yes some of these options and modalities might be better or worse for you given your situation but for the vast majority of people the biggest thing is actually just dedicating sufficient time or being able to dedicate sufficient time to aerobic fitness. You know, like I, I would, I, I don't even think I could give specific numbers in terms of how much across the week you need, because it's going to be different for everyone because there's, there's two competing things here. One, you need to build up the adaptations of being able to do that, you know, being able to, I don't know, whatever, go for a, uh, a rocking session or a jog for two hours, you know, like you're going to need to build up the adaptations to be able to even just do that. But then also you're trying to build up the general aerobic adaptations and they are complementary, synergistic, but they're not exactly the same thing. Like right now I have a resting heart rate of like 43. I think Gary, you've something like 35, you know, and I know, I know you're not, <laughs> I know you're not going out and doing like 20 hours of aerobic training. Right. So while you have a lot of, the aerobic adaptations, you know, like your cardiovascular fitness is in a good place, right? So you have the end point, quote unquote, but you don't necessarily have all the adaptations of the training as well. You know, like if I say, Gary, you're going to be doing 30,000 steps, you know, in a, in a rook tomorrow, like, yeah, your cardiovascular system might be able to do that, but your body is not, right? So again, there's there's two components here. So it's very hard to deal in the specifics, right? Um, same with like VO2 max or whatever objective measures you want to use uh, for assessing your aerobic level or your aerobic fitness. Like I think I have my VO2 max at the moment just on the Apple Watch is like 55 um, or thereabouts, which is decent. Um, but if I wanted to train that specifically, if I was like, no, I want to have a 60 uh, VO2 max for being in the mountains, like I would still have to train for that. 
but I haven't really been training specifically to get it to 55, which is already in a good place. I've just been doing like jujitsu and the occasional bit of like zone two cardio, you know? Um, so with all that out of the way, that's, that's cardio. It's very, uh, you know, vague, but also you just need to do a lot. You just need to do a lot of aerobic training, right? However, what's the story with any of the anaerobic work? Right? Is can maybe we hack the system here, Gary? Can we do some more like sprints or high intensity intervals and you know maybe get some of those adaptations a little bit quicker? Or, you know, do we need to be doing any anaerobic stuff? Should I be doing sprinting, even though I know a lot of this is going to be uh, aerobic, aerobically focused at least? Yeah, so I mean, like I would dedicate a small portion of training to to this. I do think it's useful to get some exposure to um anaerobic training. Even if most of your hiking is going to be in, let's say, zone two to zone three, if you're pacing yourself fairly well, you know, there will come points, especially if you're doing larger peaks where altitude starts to become a factor, you know, you're becoming relatively more hypoxic where you are dealing with more anaerobic conditions. You'll see your heart rate start to spike more. You're not able to optionate your tissues quite as well. But having some kind of pre-conditioning for that through your anaerobic training is something that's probably going to be useful you are getting adaptations to that already from your weight training especially if you're doing a lot of the uh, higher rep training so you are getting some preparation but um it could still be beneficial to try to include a small portion of anaerobic training of high intensity intervals etc and you are still developing your aerobic fitness when you do intervals that's something i always remind people of it's not just solely anaerobic training uh, but it is something that I would consider. But again, just remember, you have like it really is about doing as much kind of as much volume as you can from a practical perspective for most people. So, you know, if if you don't have that much time available, you could, you know, try to focus on intervals. If you just have 15 minutes in the morning, for example, could you do a hard interval session? Yeah, that is something that actually would be productive. But um overall it's just the volume of cardio that's the key determinant but they would consider some anaerobic work on top of that yeah generally what i just suggest to clients in this position and like look we need to get the aerobic base covered we need to get some resistance training covered some of the anaerobic adaptations are going to be covered with your resistance training we could maybe spend five to ten minutes at the end of that resistance training session to you know more specifically target the anaerobic uh, systems you know maybe it's like sprints on the i don't know interval bike or versa climber if you have one that's a that's a good one as well um so like we can definitely touch on it but the bulk of your training is probably going to be focused around more aerobic training i know there's definitely points when you're you know mountains or you know you're being challenged in specific ways like i remember i was walking or well, hiking up uh, ben mcdewey there, well there's a smaller mountain before ben mcdewey in uh scotland and that one i was just fucking redlining my uh heart rate my anaerobic system was being challenged to the max you know even though it was just like constant uphill and i had a fucking whatever 18 kilo pack on my back and everything you know so for that i was like yeah maybe actually i i probably should have done a little bit more anaerobic conditioning even though like two days beforehand i had done like ben nevis and i don't think my heart rate got over like 130 on that <laughs> you know so again the specifics of the the hike, the specifics of the challenge in front of you, that's going to dictate what adaptations you really need to focus on. You know, like if you know there's going to be lots of scrambling, you know there's going to be lots of like, oh, I need to like push it for 10 minutes, five minutes, 
couple of you know, 30 seconds, whatever, and then I'm going to have a break. And there's going to be lots of sprints basically on the hike. Yeah, cool. Then you probably should train that a little bit more. But that's not the case for the vast majority of hiking or mountaineering. It's a lot of just that low, steady state heart rate, you know? Um, now, there's just a few things that I want to touch on before we kind of wrap this up. Um, the first one, as it's related to all of this, uh, you know, whatever we want to call it, cardiovascular system, is that sometimes in the mountains, again, depending on the specifics, we're also dealing with other things which we would probably categorize as like extreme physiology, you know, low oxygen concentrations, altitude or higher altitude, I should say, altitude sickness, you know, there's lots of very specific things that we probably wouldn't do it justice by just covering it in this podcast, you know, there's probably more of a, an extreme physiology podcast that we could, we could do, you know, um, but do you have anything to say on, any of those things, any of the more like extreme physiology related phenomena that you would experience again in the mountains. Now, obviously that's a very small segment potentially of our audience, but I know I do have personally a few, well, I have two clients that are training for some peaks uh, next year where we're like, yeah, we have to be a bit more uh, cognizant that altitude sickness is probably going to be a thing. You know, they, one of them has had it before when they've got, they tried this and they, they didn't accomplish it. So we have to be more aware of that. Now, again, some of this goes go back to just the planning, the preparation and all that kind of stuff. Like if altitude sickness is a thing, like can you spend some more time acclimatizing, you know, rather than trying to do it in two days, can we spend an extra day at the higher altitudes? You know, like there, there are certain planning and preparation things around that. But what are your thoughts here? Yeah, to be honest, I think the biggest thing here really is just, it is smart, smart climbing practices, you know, basic safety, like you should, if you're going on a really challenging hike, especially if you're just a, a novice, because a lot of people do this, they they go abroad traveling, for example, and they've never done any hiking. And they're like, oh, there's this 6,000 meter peak in the area. Let's go and do that. It's like, if you're doing that and you don't have like a legitimate guide, like that's just very unwise. Uh, so, what, so what you need are a few different things. You need guides that are going to ensure that, you know, you're going up to an appropriate altitude, you come down, you sleep slightly lower, you're going you're doing basic acclimatization um, practices. That's really important. Like preparation with something like Diamox, acetazolamide is something that can also be useful for present, preventing some of those problems with altitude. Um, and, you know, not, not trying to rush it. And then also really important is knowing when to stop because I've, I've spoken to people like this or people about this who they total, total rookies, again, no experience in mountains. And they've gone on one of these kind of, novel hikes because they were abroad and very clearly symptoms of altitude sickness and like neurocognitive deficits from altitude and they said oh let's just keep going and by the time they got to the top like people i've i've heard of people being like just totally deluded like they're drunk like stumbling and stuff like that is ridiculously dangerous like not not good practice at all so it all starts with basic safety you know know what you're doing when you're going to the mountains like don't don't think you're better you're better than nature you will you will feel the repercussions of that nature will get some always wins. win every single time. always yeah nature will always win so prepare wisely have an appropriate guide and um, all of that is a hundred times more important than 
like going to your local altitude simulator or something like that. Like that's the type of thing you can consider down the line when you're more advanced. And as you said, like we can cover that in an extreme physiology podcast, but the, the, the most important thing is just basic safety. Yeah. And then to final, to wrap this up, um, especially with mountaineering, but also to an extent with hiking, there are also a lot of technical skills that you have to develop. Obviously, this is not the podcast to discuss technical skills of in, being in the mountains. While I quite enjoy talking about that stuff, I have about fucking 40 books inside on that stuff. I love being in the mountains. That's not the, the goal of this podcast, right? However, the reason I bring it up is there are potential benefits to training some of these skills as part of your training, right? Like if you're doing something like a, I don't know, whatever, uh, 30 rep set of bulgarian split squats and you know you're fucking gasping for air and you're you know you're destroyed after that there's potential benefit to training some of these mountaineering skills whether it's you know map reading whether it's you know tying knots like whatever specific is you know there's potential benefits there to layer that into your training as well because you're going to be in this fatigued state when you're in the mountains you're going to be in the state where you know stress is high you know your adrenaline is pumping etc so there is potential there to layer in some technical skills. Again, obviously it depends on the exact technical skills. Like I'm not saying you're going to, I don't know, fucking, you know, the more complex skills of being in the mountains. I'm not saying you can necessarily do them in the gym, but there is potential benefit here to layering that in, especially if you're getting to a stage in your training, like again, maybe you do something like whatever, uh, assault bike sprints or the echo bike sprints, you know, and you're like, okay, I know I'm gasping for air here. I can hardly think straight here's a thing that I have to do. That's a technically demanding thing that I'm going to be presented with in the mountains. You know, there is potential benefit there to having that in the overall program. But again, this comes down to the specifics. It depends on if we're talking about your, your local hike up the mountains that you're going to do in an hour. That's, you know, not demanding at all versus, okay, I'm, I'm trying to climb fucking 20 of the highest peaks next year. <laughs> you know, like obviously there's gradations here. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that covers everything. Anything else to add before we wrap up? Perfect. Okay, so enjoy your time in the mountains, guys. Now, if you would like help with your uh, fitness goals, whether they be mountain-related or otherwise, we do have coaching spaces available here at Triage. You can work with myself or Patty or another member of our expert coaching team. The information about that is in the description box below where you can find the form to apply. And you can also find other client testimonials from people that we've worked with if you'd like to see the type of clients that we've helped before. We have plenty of other free information that we put out. So make sure you're subscribed to Triage Method Newsletter. Make sure you're following Triage on all your standard social media platforms, Instagram, etc., And of course, on YouTube. Okay, We're putting out a lot of YouTube content these days. People seem to be really enjoying it. And I'd recommend you subscribe to ensure that you're keeping up with all of that. Okay. Um, otherwise, that's pretty much everything we've got. We have going on at the moment. We have the podcast here, obviously, that goes out every week. If you enjoy it, we always appreciate it. If you can leave a rating or review or share it with a friend or on your Instagram story or wherever. And uh, yeah, if you have any ideas for content you'd like to see from us on social media, on the podcast or otherwise, we're always open to your suggestions as well. Yeah, the only thing I have to add is that we do have a nutrition coaching certificate. It is closed at the moment, but yep. if you're looking to join up with that, maybe in the new year when it relaunches, get your name down on the wait list because realistically we'll probably do some early discount, early bird discount, whatever for people that have expressed interest 
earlier than the relaunch date, you know? Um, so again, that can be found in the description box below. Other than that, I don't have anything else to say. So uh, goodbye, enjoy yourselves. Hopefully anyone that's in the mountains, stay safe and uh, we'll chat to you soon.